0: Wealth Tactic Rebels, ingenious tactics to accumulate wealth for people
1: who see things differently. Welcome to another discussion with Wealth Tactic Rebels, the podcast for people who think differently. I'm your host, Kevin Dumont. I've been thinking differently in the wealth field for going on nearly 15 years now. Today, I'm joined by our expert guest, Frank Bria. Frank, how are you doing today? Doing great. Kevin, thanks so much for having me on the show. Thanks. You sound a lot more healthy than I do right now, so I'm glad about that. (laughs) I appreciate your time here with our listeners and lending your expertise to our discussion about scaling your business, right? Yeah. For those of you that might be thinking, what you're going to learn today is you're going to learn how you can scale your business, even if you think you can't, especially even If you have a service business, correct?
0: Yeah. A lot of people who have service businesses think they have to become something else to scale. So they either avoid it or they end up doing a lot of things that are just harder than they need to be.
1: Sure. Sure. But it's possible. So we're going to learn about that today. And during the discussion, you're going to learn about how you can turn your business into an asset. The steps it'll take to be able to operate your business without you there present and will also talk a little bit about the personal transformation journey that you're going to take along the way. But before we get there, Frank, I'm sure our listeners, if you wouldn't mind sharing, would love to hear a little bit about where you came from and what inspired you to do what you do today.
0: Yeah, sure. I like to call myself a recovering consultant. <laughs>
1: if there was a 12-step
0: group for consultants, I would be standing up and joining that group. So Excellent. I started off my business as in-tech and in finance and developed a bit of a expertise. And so it was natural to have a consulting practice and right. pretty successful. It took me all over the globe, you know, speaking in lots of different conferences and talking to finance companies and tech companies all over the world. You know, I was uh, hey, Frank, we need you in Johannesburg in three days, guy. Sure, uh, sure. You know, but <laughs> after you get million miler status on all three of the <laughs> U.S. carriers and nice. a couple of international ones, it gets... You know, it's not
1: as fun anymore. It's a little monotonous at that point. I can, uh, exactly like, oh my so, God, my um, own bed. What was that?
0: <laughs> when the flight attendant can address you by name as you get on the plane, there's a problem. <laughs> Honestly, there was a moment where I was in Ukraine actually at a client site doing a presentation and I got word via text message that there was like a serious medical emergency with the family at home. Right. And one of those moments that you wonder what you would do, you know, when you're standing in front of all these people who flew in for a meeting and suddenly you're like, I have to end this meeting right now and get to the airport. I'm sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And walk out. And of course, there's not a direct flight from Kiev to Phoenix. Oh, I imagine. (laughs) It gave me a lot of time to think about what I had built as a business and whether it was really serving me. And so that's when I knew I had to begin transforming what I had built. And, you know, the whole time I'm thinking, you start off by thinking, well, this isn't great for, you know, my kids are growing up without me. and. Right. I'm all over the place and I can't really take vacations. And even when I do, my cell phone's there because I got to answer the questions. The clients don't really like it when you're gone. <laughs> no. But, you know, when I'm gone, I don't have anything to hand down to my kids. I don't have anything to pass along. This is it, you know? Yeah. And yeah, you can save some money for retirement, but that's not really the same thing. Right, right, right. And that got me thinking, okay, I got to redo this whole model.
1: Right. Makes sense. That makes total sense. you know. And I underwent a similar philosophy idea during my career path where it's just kind of, do I always have to be there to make money? And is this something that I can train someone else to do? And is it something that I can pass off or sell off, whichever the case may be, to someone else, whether it's the next generation or someone else entirely? So that makes sense. So why don't we start talking a little bit about you know the scaling your business, or what we're talking about, but transforming it through that to an asset
0: right yeah so the definition of scale is the theoretical definition of scale is that when you get a new customer that you don't have to spend any more time so yep. that's perfect yep. scale right right not that you're not spending any time at all of course you are you're in your business but right when a new customer comes in you're not spending more time now that's perfect scale. Not everyone reaches perfect scale, right? Right. But that's kind of what we're going for. And so there's really the thing you have to do is to remove yourself from the process. It's, there's a section of my book, a scale, that actually the subtitle is fire yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fundamentally what you need to do. You figure out how to fire yourself from take your own myself business.
1: unemployment correct?
0: <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, exactly. I'll take unemployment and the mm-hmm. profit draw <laughs> <you> <laughs> know, from the ongoing cash flow. Right. But the idea is that if you think about where you are involved in your business, there's probably three major areas that right now you're taking the role and you have a hard time seeing somebody else do it, right? Sure. The sure. first is sales and marketing, okay? Mm. A lot of times as sole proprietor business owners, especially in service businesses, we're doing the selling. And so you think, okay, I guess I could hand off sales to a professional salesperson. And a lot of times people do. They'll find you know people to come in, but That's the first area where you really have to focus in. How do I generate leads and how do I close them without me, right? The second thing is in customer delivery. Because again, in service businesses, a lot of times the owner, you know, we, the entrepreneur, we're the ones who actually do the work. And so how do I get out of that mode? And here's really where the secret is in proceduralizing and getting good at one thing. Right. So this is why consulting is kind of like on the other end of the spectrum from scalability. Every single time, if you talk to a consultant, it's kind of a joke. You're like, So, what do you do? Oh, whatever you need. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right? Like, what problem you have? I can solve that problem. It's kind of like,
1: um, Do you remember coming to America with Eddie Murphy?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The
1: scene where he's getting married. I want to spend a little time with my wife. Oh, okay. You know, they go into the room. What kind of food do you like? whatever food you like
0: right exactly.
1: <laughs> you know, what do you like to do whatever you like to do <laughs> yeah,
0: whatever you like to do exactly right that's exactly consultant
1: yeah.
0: there's an old joke I will not tell about the similarities between a consultant and other people who exchange services for money right <laughs> so the, the idea is the uh, we don't office off as uh, consultants we don't often have this idea of oh there's one thing I do. Sometimes we'll specialize in an area, obviously, you know, an IT consultant doesn't become an HR consultant, but we don't think about it from that perspective. We're kind of like, well, whatever problem you solve, I'm a smart person. We'll figure it out. So that you have to break that mold because you can't scale that model. Right. So you have to find a problem and solve. That's really scary for a lot of people because it feels Mm. like it's narrowing. It feels like it's constraining. Like, oh, I can do more than that. I'm better than that. Yeah, you are. But is your business? That's the question. That's and the question, so, right? Right. You have to get past this point. Of- well, it
1: sounds like the mind shift because a, a lot of entrepreneurs, their business is is them. You know, they right. do it, and if they do it well, their business does it well. And what you're saying is, the business needs to be able to perform that task or process or whatever it is without you. Yes,
0: exactly. And therefore, it needs to split. Like right. there needs to be this like splitting right, of right, the business right. from the owner. Right, you know, right. and. Just because the owner can do it doesn't mean the business should. In fact, it probably shouldn't. (laughs) It's probably not a good business move to replicate the owner's intellect, right? Because when you grow, if you're going to fire yourself, that means you got to hire a bunch of you. And if you're the business owner, you're probably a superstar. And it is not a great hiring model to go hire a bunch of superstars. It's just not a great way to do it.
1: Well, it's hard to find them. Right. And then they're going to be just as driven, maybe as you are. I mean, I know that can happen. And I think there's two sides of that because first of all, I know it's hard to find them, but if you do find them, you're going to want to keep them, but they're probably the kind of person that once they figure it out, they're going to want to go and do it on their own.
0: Yeah. I mean, there you is know? a
1: bit of a, yeah, of course. And, and there may be some conflict in the way that you want to do things and they want to do right. things. So,
0: yeah. you know, it's an interesting thing about hiring like the right kind of people for sure. Right. So right. I've heard a lot of entrepreneurs say, I never want to hire entrepreneurs because they all want to build their own thing. Right. So yeah, right. I get that. There's just this fine line because you also don't want to hire just clock punchers either, you know. No, that's you true. You definitely yeah. want to hire people who are willing to build your vision. So right. I call right. these people entrepreneurs. You want to uh, hire an entrepreneur. Yeah. You a, same kind of idea, right. they have the same sort of drive, the same desire to build, but they're willing to do it in your vision and your structure because they just don't want to do it for themselves.
1: So that's like the definition is they're like an entrepreneur, but they're going to do it in your business. Right,
0: right. So for example, in hiring interviews, I'll often ask, so Mm. what side projects do you have going Mm. on right now? You know, and usually they're a little shocked because that's not something people like to share. But I really like people who are like, well, I have this little side project going on where I'm building this little
1: app or something.
0: Mm. I kind of like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You you know what? That's kind of like a new way of thinking. And I've been seeing this too. Gary V. He's just like that himself. Yeah. Exact same thing. He knows that. And he wants most of his people working under him to have a side gig. Right. He knows at some point in time, they're going to take that side gig and they're going to go maybe a few Mm -hmm. years down the road, but he wants those people. Right. Right.
0: Yeah, because he believes that for whatever limited period of time that they're going to be in the organization, they're going to be driving something forward. And even if it's not sort of an entrepreneurial side project, large corporations do this. 3M carves out time for their employees to Hmm. go just think about something. The post-it note came out of that. That came out of that process, right? Probably Three M's most successful products ever, you know. Wow.
1: True. I was just using one a little yeah, while I mean, ago. You know, I mean
0: right here? You know, on the you
1: list. have the digital ones. Wow. Your computer now, even right? <laughs> exactly.
0: Know? I still kind of like the. I ta- I'm kind of tactile,
1: tactile. Yeah. But yeah. Google does this, right? right Google right.
0: gives their employees time to work on some side project, and a right. lot of the really cool things that we have of Google came out of those things, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So there is something to be said about that, but you definitely don't want to keep trying to that superstar does it all person. It's just not sustainable. So that's the second thing. And the third thing you really have to watch out for is where the intellectual property is coming from. Right. So as the entrepreneur, we're kind of like the source of all the great stuff we're doing. And if you're going to fire yourself, that's got to either be stable or you have to have some process by which that's created. You know what? It's the manufacturing process of a service business.
1: Uh, right, right. Like, we it don't think sense.
0: about service business as having manufacturing. But what is manufacturing? It's, it's to create
1: product. And it's that's true.
0: what a lot of service businesses need to do. Right.
1: And the service business product is the service they can offer to whatever the clients, which right. I know takes time. You have to think right. about it. You have to research it. You have to work on it. You have to develop it and test it. You test yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. So those are the three things. And really, if you look through them, some of them are easier. Sales marketing is a little easier to move off. Intellectual property is probably the hardest thing to move off. But right. Right. in the middle there, those are the things you have to think about. And why they're so important is because if I'm going to come in and buy your business, those those are the three systems I'm going to be looking for. Do you have a sales and marketing system that's going to run without me, like without right. you, without anyone? Right. Because that's where the cash comes from, right? Does client delivery, is that going to fall apart when the owner steps away? Right. And then what about the intellectual property? That third piece is why a lot of businesses, when they're purchased, the owner will stick around. There's either an earnout clause or, you know, we'll keep the owner on retainer or something like that. It's usually for that last piece. Hmm. It's not... The first two, right, right, almost never. Do you want to buy a business where the owner is involved in sales and marketing or client delivery? But oftentimes, IP, product development, that kind of stuff. You want,
1: right? You want the, to the processes. Get that on paper. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I actually talked to a couple of people who have done that, bought a business, and then they've kept the owner on for a while to help them. Continue to run the business and learn the processes. And yeah, it makes sense too, especially if you're new to it and you haven't done it before. Right. And as the owner, it's kind of probably nice too. You know, when you're. Yeah,
0: usually that's kind of the buyout clause, right? Yeah. A lot of service businesses, especially if it's you know in the in the few million dollar a year range from a revenue perspective you're not going to get some big check from someone to buy you out it's usually cash flow it's usually payments from the cash flow over time and right, sometimes right. it involves you and then there are usually profit and revenue metrics you have to hit that's your earn out clause so right. yeah usually that owner stick around for a little bit
1: yeah and then go on to your next side gig that becomes your prime right. gig <laughs> <laughs> but i think most true entrepreneurs you know they never really stop they love the developing they like because I think that's part of what drives people. You know, when you talk to someone who, oh, I've done this business, I've done this business, I've done this business, I've done this business. You know, they could have taken one and just kept going with it, but right. they want to do a new one. That's what excites right. them, I think. Right? You know?
0: Yeah. There is something a little, I guess, driven or manic about that. That's probably yeah. why the word cereal comes in front of
1: entrepreneur
0: <laughs> and and those are the only two serial anything.
1: <laughs> Maybe one of these days we'll have a uh, psychologist on here, discuss the similarities between the two. <laughs>
0: Actually, I've read some articles that talk about the not psychopath traits, but right. like narcissistic traits. And there's something about entrepreneurs that sort of slide over into that bucket a little bit. You kind of have, right. to, you have to have a little, a little bit. bit of like you against the world thing going on. Right.
1: So, yeah. 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 I can imagine. <laughs> so we've got the three steps uh, where the leads come from, yeah. who's going to deliver it, and the intellectual property. And I'm sure you right. know there's we could probably have a podcast episode in each one of those three sections if we <laughs> yeah. wanted to, but right. So probably a
0: podcast a
1: each whole podcast in each one. there you go. Yeah. So let's move on to the next part because I think this yeah. is a, actually, you know what I want to make a quick mention here before we move on to the next part. This sounds a little bit like, and I'm wondering what the differences are between what you're talking about and people you know, if anyone's done some research, they probably already come across the ebook or the e-myth, I'm sorry. E-myth, yeah. The e-myth, mm-hmm. which is franchising your business. In other words, turning it into something that can run without you, just what you're talking about is, it's an asset. So it's yeah. a tangible asset that you can either move on with or sell or, or pass on mm-hmm. or something.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of common themes with the e-myth. I mean, fundamentally, the core message of the e-myth is there's a difference between someone who runs a business and someone who's a practitioner. And right, a lot right. of times, service businesses start with practitioners who want to start businesses. And the e the overall flow of the e starts with, you have to decide which of those two things you want to be. Right, if you want to be right. a practitioner, that's one thing. But if you want to run a business, you have to transform yourself from practitioner to CEO. Then there's a lot of different ways to do that. You know, the e-myth, there's an entire licensing and coaching stuff around e-myth. There's e-myth consultants and stuff who will help you figure out proceduralizing and processing and in some cases, even franchising as one potential business model. Right, right. But there's a lot of ways to solve that problem. There's a lot of ways to do that. Some are better than others. But yeah, fundamentally, that's what the e-myth is about is you you need to transform. You need to become something different
1: than you are today. Right, right. But you're taking it to a little bit higher level and focusing really on that, turning your business into an asset and more side.
0: Yeah. I mean, we tend to work with service business owners that deliver high value services. Right. Those are the ones that have a hard time, the hardest time scaling. Because there's this siren song in internet land that the way to scale is to either become a software company, perfectly legitimate way to scale a service company. Right or to become sort of an information product company or a digital course company. And so what ends up happening is you have these high-valued service providers that charge $50,000 for a consulting arrangement. And in order to scale, they think what they need to do is to start selling $2,000 courses online. Right, And it feels wrong. Like if you're charging $50,000 to suddenly start charging two, it feels wrong. But then there are all these clattering voices out there that are like, oh, but how many? You only have to sell like 25 of those and then you're back up to 50 again. (laughs) And so people do this like mental math in their head, but it feels wrong because it is wrong. Like you take a high value service and you think you have to distill it down at $2,000. This idea of teaching as business sort of cropped up probably in the early, sort of in the early 2000s, mid 2000s. And it's brilliant in terms of trying to scale, but it's kind of gone. It's the pendulum swung a little too far the other way. And, you know, when I see consultants that, you know, work with Fortune 500 companies, like create PDFs and sell them for 300 bucks, thinking that's the only way they can like scale their business, you know, my heart breaks, like there's something (laughs) fundamentally wrong about that. Right, right. It really is about oh no, you can have a service business, and you can actually even have a done for you service business right. that's scalable. It's just that you have to create the processes so that you do the same thing every single time, right? Right. I mean, think about McDonald's. McDonald's is scalable. They still make a hamburger for you every time you order
1: one. Right. But it's
0: scalable. Right. You right. You know, right. it's because there's certain things that you can't walk into a McDonald's and order a T-bone. Like, it's, it's Not true. on the menu. It's true. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> So those are the kinds of things you start to have to think about in your high-end services in order to make that work because you
1: have to really start proceduralizing things. Right, right. And that's really the key to it right there. I, yeah. right. I agree. I couldn't do this podcast without having some sort of procedures in place. Yep. I hear about people that don't really have procedures. They just kind of have an idea in their head of what to do. But it's, I feel like it's if you don't have some procedures, it's how can you manage a business?
0: It's hard. You know, it's interesting because for me personally, I'm kind of like, the odd duck in this area where I love a lack of structure. Right, I thrive in lack of structure. So as a consultant, it was great. I could walk into a room full of C-level executives at a Fortune 500 company with no agenda and hold a meeting for 90 minutes. And I was completely comfortable with that. Right, I love it. It's exciting. It's thrilling, but you can't build a business like that. You can't build a business off of that. That's true. That's true. So, but also a trained mathematician, like I started off in mathematics. And so for me, it's all about process and Structure. Yeah, I yeah. like to build them. I just don't like to do them.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so. Cause you're a problem solver. You enjoy that challenge of solving a problem, the thrill of overcoming it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I like to describe it as creating order out of chaos and that's <laughs> fundamentally know. what right. scaling requires. Right. I, I go into a company that's essentially chaos. It's working, but it's chaos, and you got to create order out of it. You know, the clock has to strike twelve at the right time, and right, all right, that good stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Scaling is creating order out of chaos. Makes sense. Yeah. So let's touch on the next section here before we get to the end of our podcast. So during this process, and I'm looking at this. If you've ever watched, you know, Gordon Ramsay and those other shows, right? When he's creating the systems for their restaurants. The thing that he's spending the most time on is transforming the owner. So this is something that I'm sure you've experienced that the people you're working with are going through their transformation journey during this process.
0: In fact, I say every business growth exercise is a personal transformation journey. Every single one. Right. It's interesting. You work with a lot of startups. There is a curve for founders. Where as the company grows bigger and bigger, they change what they do. And it makes logical sense, right? Like when we first start off, we're not really a CEO. We're like a project manager. (laughs) Like we might have a couple (laughs) of things that are going on, but we're just kind of managing tasks. At some point though, we grow because we hire people to manage those tasks for us. And now we're managing project managers. And so we're managing now a business, right? Right. But then we grow another level and then we hire people to manage the business for us. These little silos of the business, and all we're doing is we're creating strategy for them,
1: right? Right. And so right.
0: we're now managing strategy, and we have people managing the business. And then you grow again, and you bring people to manage their own strategies in these little silos. Right. And you're now creating vision, which is interpreted in as strategy. So we have to grow, right? As all those things go up. And you know, we look at a lot of examples of CEOs out there. I mean, take Mark Zuckerberg as an example. You know, he started in his room, in his dorm room coding, and now he's the CEO of a multi-billion dollar corporation. We look at that and we think that's normal. It's not. Right. Right. That's actually the exception, not the rule. So most founders don't grow up to be CEOs. Most founders fail, they flunk out. Right, right. As the company grows, one of two things happens. Either the company stops growing because the founder stops growing or external investors or other people are involved and they kick the founder out. <laughs> right, right. Most startups I've been involved with, either as an advisor, board member, or in itself, the founder has been relegated to some office in <laughs> <at> the side <laughs> of the building. So you're in the way no now. One's allowed to go in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It happens a lot more frequently than you think. And All it's right, because right. the CEO, the founder, refuses to grow refuses right. to take on the next role, refuses to let go of the minutiae and that, that's become it right there. Yeah, a bigger leader, refuses to stop thinking about the bits and bytes of what's being delivered and start thinking about bigger right. and broader issues right. like vision and team leadership. Right. And you know what? Not everybody's going to pull that off, which is why a lot of founders flunk out. So that's but, the challenge. Yes, yeah, so you have to go through that growth cycle if you want to stick with the company and have it grow.
1: So basically, if you're an entrepreneur and you started business and you're scaling it, and you want to be able to stay with it as it scales and continues to grow to whatever the potential is. You have to understand that you need to change with the business. Yes, your right. mentality, your mindset of what you're doing has to change. And if yes. you don't, you're going to hold your business back.
0: Exactly. If I had to think about the most common conversation I have with a client, mm. it is where they come to me about ready to fire us right? Right, <laughs> and they go, this isn't feeling good. Like you're having us yeah, yeah. do stuff that like, it's not really my personality isn't really in the business anymore. Like we're more of a kind of do our thing and we don't right. like all this stuff. <laughs> it, that's usually the most common conversation. So we stop, we think about it and go, okay, you have a choice to make. Like, mm, first mm. of all, I never told you this was going to be easy or fun.
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) True.
0: It's hard. It's hard to grow in scale. It's like, it's a hard thing. That's why not a lot of people do it. And you have to change. And you're not going to be the same person or organization at the end of this process that you were at the beginning. You can't be. You can't be. Usually is my question. Like, did you think you were a $20 million CEO when you walked in the door the first day? No. So of course you're going to have to change. Like, duh. And most people get it. But again, You know, there are some who are just like, nope, I don't want to change. I still want to be me. And they get stuck.
1: Do you think sometimes it could be things like maybe they're a bit OCD. They have they feel like if they're relegated to theory and not actually in the development or doing of the process then they're no longer in control of it. They feel out of control of their business. It's not their business anymore.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there is an element of control, whether it's kind of a personality-based control or just right. a real concern about quality. Because right. A lot of times we as owners are like, I don't want to hire someone because no one can do it as well as I can. Right. Well, okay, that's true, but it's also not helpful. Yeah,
1: yeah. unless you clone yourself. (laughs) yeah.
0: One thing I tell a lot of business owners is you're going to have to get cool with 80%. Yeah. And that's a hard thing for a lot of business owners to deal with. Like, well, I don't want to do 80%. Like I want to do 100%. Great. Well, then you're going to stay a $700,000 a year business and that's it. Right. right. You're not going to get to $5 million because you have to get to 80%. Otherwise... You can't scale. Yeah, you can't scale. You'll never find anybody who's going to be as good as you. So there is a control process. People have to start trusting, Mm, right? mm. People have to start realizing that they can actually control, but they do it through strategy and direction rather than micromanagement. So it's a, a leadership skill thing.
1: Right, right.
0: One of the biggest misnomers about leadership is that there's a style. Right. So people say, oh, well, that's my style. That's my leadership style. Right, right. Well, that's actually not true. Like research shows us that the best way to lead is actually to change your style over time based on the person and where they are kind of in the growth process. Right, so right. that means we as leaders have to do different things. We don't have a style we stick with. Right, And so that's, again, something that as a founder and a CEO, you have to adapt. You have to realize mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. you have a bigger role here.
1: Do you have any tips that could help people with their mindset shift of changing from one level to the next as they develop?
0: Sure. So it comes down to fundamentally the same problem over and over again. So let's use an analogous problem that people really are comfortable with, right? So let's say that you're a founder of a company, right? Mm -hmm. And you need some capital to grow. So you go to, you know, venture capital or an angel investor or whatever, and they say, okay, here you go. I got $5 million for you to inject into your company. Yep. And I just want 40% of your company for that $5 million. Right. And you go, whoa, 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 like 40%. Like, wow, that's a lot. I'm not sure I really want to give up 40% of my company. And so then you right, come right. down to the fundamental question. Do you want 100% of a $100,000 company or do you want 60% of a $10 million company? Which <laughs> One is more valuable. To you. <laughs> True. And so you start to do that math in your head and you're like, well, Makes I sense. like the control, but I like the value proposition too. <laughs> right. So you start to trade off. Fundamentally, we have to go through the exact same mindset shift when it comes to the control of the business itself. Mm-hmm. You don't even need investors to have this conversation. You just need to bring in really good team members who are going to take over some of the things that you don't want to let go of. And the question is, do you want 100% control of a small company or do you want... To share that control with a group of people who you have hired to help you drive a bigger vision. So you do have to sit back with that and think about it and absorb it and say, okay, is this what I really want?
1: There you go. Come down to what you want. When you figure out what you want, then you can start rationalizing your mind and understanding why, okay, I right. want this. So what do I have to do to get it? I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to yeah. give up a little control. I have to strategize instead of build the structure or hire some good yeah. entrepreneurs. <laughs>
0: yeah. There's an old African saying that's kind of useful for this. was like, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go in a group. Right. And that's really what you have to think through. Right. Right.
1: Makes sense. So before we close for the day, I am going to ask for the Wealth Tactic Value Bomb, which is, Frank, in your experience, what should our listeners look to avoid doing uh, when it comes to scaling their business and what can they do about it?
0: Yeah. So the biggest mistake I see people make when they try to scale is to lower their prices. Mm. Don't do that. A lot of people say, well, if it's not me, if it's not me 100%, then it's a lower quality. So we're going to lower prices. That's okay because we'll make it up in volume. I love (laughs) that
1: Right, right, that.
0: right. Make it up in volume. So don't do that. Price is a value proposition. It's not a gimmick to land clients. So if you find that you're having to lower price, that tells the entire marketplace that you're lowering the value proposition. There are ways to scale, proceduralize, and even raise your prices while you scale by really huh. focusing in on a core value proposition that people really want solved. Right, right. Interestingly enough, sometimes scaling is actually the thing which saves a lot of businesses from a cash flow. Crisis, right? So, right? Yeah. Don't lower your prices. A big, big yeah. mistake. A lot of people get stuck
1: in. Makes sense. And I can imagine that when you scale, you now have more ability to bring more value. Maybe, like you say, it's eighty percent instead of that hundred percent. But people may never know that because you're also going to bring additional things that you couldn't have done before. Well, and it's the focus. There's power in focus. Right. 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 Yeah. Makes sense. Frank, anything else you want to share about yourself and your business with our listeners today?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, just uh, if you want a little bit more information about this, like I wrote a book called Scale, How to Grow Your Business by Working Less. A lot of these uh, tactics are outlined in it. And at the end of every section is actually like a big kind of workbook, little mini workbook inside the book. So it's practical. I I love practicality. So uh, it's on Amazon, uh, you know, and places like that. So you can find if you just look for scale. My website's frankbrie.com. And there we've got essentially a blueprint for how to scale and it'll get you started on that path. It's absolutely right. free; you can just download it right there.
1: Right. Or they can hire an expert such as yourself to help.
0: <laughs> yeah. We'd love to chat about that. Right. For sure.
1: And Frank, I'm going to put links to your book and your website on our show note page for today's episode for the uh, Scaling Your Business. And Thank you. so for our listeners who want to go to WealthTacticRebel.com and look for the Scaling Your Business episode with Frank Bria, that'll be all there. And also listeners, if you wouldn't mind, we had a great discussion with Frank today. But I'd love to hear from you. Help us out. Let us know what in today's episode specifically did you find helped you the most. And Frank, thanks for sharing your expertise today. Kevin, thanks so much. It's an honor to be on our show. Absolutely. It's an honor having you. Wealth Hattic Rebel listeners, honor having you on our discussion today. And we hope you all have a fantastic day. Want to really see things differently? Take our course in Genius
0: Tactics 201, where we teach you all the wealth-accumulating tactics with detailed real-life examples, see your progress with quizzes, and a certificate of completion. For course details, visit WealthTacticRebels.com. Sign up today and start seeing things differently.
1: This presentation is intended as informational only. The Information presented does not consider your particular financial objectives, risk tolerance, time horizon, or other unique circumstances, and does not constitute a personalized recommendation or replace the advice of a financial, tax, or legal advisor or other qualified professionals. Do your own research and do not use the information of this presentation in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional. To the best of our ability, we provide content that is accurate as of the date of release. However, we give no assurance or guarantee regarding its accuracy, timeliness, completeness, or applicability. We assume no liability for the information of this and related presentations.